shut down again. Come on in. Welcome to all of you who are joining us both here in the sanctuary as well as those of you at home. So grateful that you're here. Uh, I wanted to mention, uh, most of you perhaps have heard, but on the last Sunday of this month, on the 29th, we will be having a special service in which we're going to be doing baptisms, dedications, and membership. So if you're interested in any of those things, whether it's to dedicate your child who you haven't dedicated yet, or to be baptized, or to join the church, please just let me know and we can talk through what that would entail. Okay, That's coming up the last Sunday of this month. You need to let us know ahead of time so that we can actually have some conversation. Uh, we have uh, all of you are special guests, obviously. We love the fact that you're all here and that you're a part of our family. But we do have uh, very special guests with us this morning. Uh, so in the back row over here, is sitting right next to Pastor John, is my sister Amy. Uh, she's here from Florida, so she's freezing. And her husband, <laughs> Jorge, who for those of you who aren't bilingual like me, you could just call him George if that's what you would like. But they are uh, family, and we're so grateful that family can come around. Uh, they've been checking us out online and thought maybe we were worthy of actually visiting. So uh, we're glad that they can be with us. Um, today, uh, we're on part three of our series called Little Things Can Make a Big Difference. Little Things Can Make a Big Difference. And as I was thinking about the series this week... Um, it was with the awareness and my honest prayer that in days to come, perhaps even in years to come, some of you will look back at this time and say, God did something in me that made a difference in my life. There are some things that you grab hold of that God actually will use to bring about a transformation in your life. Uh, last time we were together, I looked at the issue of thoughts, how our thoughts affect us. The, the scripture says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Well, today I want to look at, not thoughts, but I want to look at our words specifically. If you have your Bibles, Proverbs 18.21, Proverbs 18.21, the wise man Solomon said this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. I like how Eugene Peterson put it in the Message Bible. He worded it this way. Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. You get to choose what your words are doing. And so, for those of you that take notes, this is my main point for today. This kind of encapsulates everything, and it's very simply this. The words that we speak can either be life-giving words or life-taking words. The words that we speak can either be life-giving words or life-taking words. And my question to you from the very beginning of this message is, what are your words doing? Do you find yourself getting caught up in all kinds of conversations that don't give life? Or are you finding yourself looking for opportunity to lend God's life to those with whom you come in contact. Um, last week we looked at the importance, or last time we looked at the importance of our thought life. I want to build upon that with the recognition that if you want to make a change in your life, one of the things that has to change are our words. The words that we speak to others, 
but also the words that we speak about ourselves, how they impact our very soul. Uh, for those of you that uh, have your Bible, James 3, we're going to spend some time there. James chapter 3 and verse 3. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said this way better than I ever could a long time ago. James chapter 3 and verse 3 says this, Indeed, we put bits, and the implication is small bits, in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. Little things can make a big difference. James tells us three things that our words do. Number one, our words impact the trajectory of our lives. Our words can impact where we're going in life. James shows us that just as a bit that you put in, how many of you have ever ridden a horse? Any of you guys? Okay, you put a bit in its mouth, right? And with the bit, you pull on the reins and that pulls a bit and it pulls their mouth and it makes them go in different directions. Or it talks about this small little rudder on a huge ship that can direct the course of that ship's journey. In the same way, James tells us that our words have that kind of effect on our lives and on the lives of those around us. Um, have you ever met someone who, especially I find when they're younger, they, they use their words um, almost like weapons of mass destruction. They use their words as weapons instead of as tools to bring about healing or encouragement. They use their tools, and, and they, they're so strong in their opinions. They know what they think, and they know what's right, and they're not going to take anything from anybody. They're harsh, and they're angry, and they're even mean. But as time goes along, what you hope is that people mature a little bit and they learn how to give their words with a little bit more grace, a little bit more kindness, a little bit more mercy. But have you ever met somebody that though they have grown a little bit older, their words don't change? They're still just as sure of themselves. They're still just as... They're looking for a fight. There are people that I meet on almost a daily basis that I think to myself that when you were young, you look to prove how strong you were. You look for a fight. Now that you're older, you might not want to fight physically, but you want to argue things with people. You want to be right instead of actually being kind and merciful and gracious. They take pride in not changing. I believe what I believe. I believe the same thing I used to believe. If you're like that, i got to tell you, that's not a wise or a mature stance to take at all. All of us ought to be changing. We ought to be growing in God, which means that our words ought to be changing the way we speak to one another. Too many people get stuck in a rut of never really changing even their words. Number two, James tells us, our words can destroy everything that I have. Um, when I was a young Christian, this had to go back, oh man, early 70s, I think it was, there was a song that went around It said something like, it only takes a spark. Yeah, how many of you guys, any of you guys remember that? It only takes a spark to get a fire going. Soon all those are, well, ultimately, that's true. Um, it was back in uh, 1983 in Australia. Some of you guys will remember this. In Australia, they advertised that in 1983, in one night, one 
fire burned over 600 square miles of property. For those of you that want a comparison, that would be like burning all of Wyoming County to the ground and nothing is left. One fire started by a match that somebody didn't blow out first. Just took it, threw it down, and it started a fire that lit on fire 600 square miles of land. Um, In James 5, James tells us our words can create a chain reaction. Um, I've dealt with a lot of couples over the years that have come in for counseling or for help, and there's not a one of us who is married that doesn't need help at some point in our lives, that doesn't need somebody to help us to work through something. And I've had couples come in and the husband will say, well, you know, we've been struggling, and well, I said this, and then she said that, and then I said this, and there's a pause, and I say, and then what happened? He goes, well, then all hell broke loose. And the truth is, our words either bring the atmosphere of heaven or they bring the atmosphere of hell. And my question to you this morning is, what are your words doing? When people look at you, are they anticipating what's going to come out of your mouth because they believe it's going to be wise and gracious and full of the presence of God? Or are you bringing the atmosphere of the enemy himself with lies, with accusation, with anger, with death, with destruction? The third thing, that James tells us is our words expose what's really going on inside of us. Our words are like huge tattletellers on us. They reveal what's inside. Out of the mouth comes the issues that are already in our heart. That's where it comes from. We come to a worship service and we stand next to each other. We both raise our hands and we sing worship to God. And then we get in the car and we go home and we begin to have a fight about what we're going to do for lunch. You were just saying praise the Lord and now you're saying shut up. It's kind of like some people, I feel like they're, they're like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You never know what you're going to get. Is it going to be good or is it going to be angry and bitter? Some people leave you feeling like whiplash. Like, I, I don't know what to expect from you anymore. I want to take a few moments and look at the life of one of the saints in the Bible who had a struggle with his words, just like all of us have. So would you turn to Psalm 39? Psalm 39. I want to look at the life of King David. And by the way, doesn't it encourage you that the saints in the Bible had some of the same struggles that we do? That we're not alone in this? They all went through some of the same stuff? Psalm 39 in verse 1, David says this. David, who's struggling with his words, just like we do, David says this. I said, I will guard my ways lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. I was mute with silence. I held my peace even from good, and my sorrow was stirred up. The first way that David decided to try was he was going to guard carefully what he said. And in fact, it says he went even further. It says he became more radical and he determined to say nothing at all. But David soon learned what we all learned. That self-help techniques only last so long and then they fail like everything else on this side of glory. He ends in verse 3 and he says this, My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned and then I spoke with my tongue. Have you ever gone into a situation where you knew it could be tense and you purposed to say nothing at all? I'm not going to say a word. I'm just going to be quiet. I'll let them talk. I'll listen. 
And sure shoot, no matter what you do, your purpose to be quiet, out of your mouth comes verbal vomit that comes all over everybody. It's like you couldn't help yourself. That's what David's saying. He says, I purpose to be silent, to put a muzzle on my mouth, but then I still spoke anyways. When I was at Bible college, I had a friend who, like me, had some trouble with his words. He was often getting in trouble, and most often he was getting trouble on the basketball court, saying things that you shouldn't be saying, angry, yelling. And so he read these words of David that said, I will restrain myself with a muzzle. And he actually made a muzzle, a leather muzzle. that he. The first time I saw it, he came out on the court wearing it. It, it covered his mouth. He could still hear, he could still see fine, but it covered his mouth. And I thought, this is kind of weird, but okay, if this will help, go for it. And so we started playing the game. He was on the opposing team. And sure as shooting, during the game, there were calls that were made that he didn't agree with. And you could watch him getting redder and redder under the muzzle. Until finally, it was towards the end of the game. I don't know what the call was. I, I can't remember. I remember the game score was tight. So I think it was anybody's game. But I remember a call was made, and you could see this guy getting red. I mean, steam is coming out of his ears. He's so angry about it, he finally rips the muzzle off and he begins to let the ref know what he thinks about the call and what he thinks about the ref and his lineage. I mean, ultimately, doing that kind of stuff just doesn't last. We start out meaning well, but something happens and pretty soon we blow it and we say something we shouldn't have. And maybe for you it's not like that. Maybe it's just words come out that you don't mean angry, but you know that you probably shouldn't have said that. Not in that way anyways. And that's what David is confronting. And so sooner or later we blurt something out that later on we'll regret. And David said, my first technique is very simply this. I can do it myself. That was his thing. I can do it myself. I, I can work hard at this. I can train myself to say nothing. I had a friend who often would say things loudly and with force, and so he began to train himself to whisper. I think some of our kids could learn that here on Sunday mornings. But he trained himself to whisper so that every answer you would have to lean in. And he said, well, I found two things. People listen to me more closely, and I'm not as angry anymore. And that lasted for about a year. For a year he did that, and all of a sudden, I began. next time I saw him, he's right back to normal. It only lasts so long because our self-help techniques just don't do it. And then David comes to his second strategy. It's in verse 4. Verse 4, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly, every man at his best state is but vapor. Selah. Selah means basically, take a moment and think about it. Verse 6, Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in veins. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. Here David uses a common phrase that those in Hebrew lore would have understood. He's basically saying to God, God, I want you to show me what's going on inside of me. Why do I continue to do this? Why do I act like this? Why do I continue to get myself in trouble with what I say? Have you ever asked God to show you yourself? It's a scary thing. I think sometimes the best thing God could ever do is to not show us ourselves, but to show us how He sees us. But David here says, God, show me myself. And God does it. God shows David three things. First thing He shows him, He says, your life is brief. He says, 
You have made my days as handbreadths. Handbreadths were like a, a measurement that you would use for smaller, little things. And here David says, my life is but a handbreadth. It's brief at best. What, what does it have to do with the words? Well, basically, God is saying, you're not going to live long enough to fix this yourself. It's going to take more than what you can do. The second thing that God shows David is, he says, my age is as nothing before you, certainly Every man at his best state is but vapor. Not only was his life brief, but David was weak. We're taught from the youngest age, uh, and, and I, I can remember saying this once at a baccalaureate service, and parents came up to me later and said, thank you, just thank you, just thank you for that. I said to the kids, you have been taught a lie. You've been taught all your lives you can do anything you put your mind to. And I have to tell you, that's a lie. You can't. You can only do that which God purposes for your life. You can't do anything you want. I've wanted to be an astronaut, but at my age, I don't think there's much hope of it. I know some of you here had dreams for your life. And they didn't come to pass. Well, maybe God had other plans for your life. Here God tells David, not only are, is your life brief, but you're weak. Without His help and His strength, you can do nothing. In fact, Jesus said in John 5, without or Jesus said this in John 5. He says, I can do nothing of myself but what I see the Father doing. And then in John 15, Jesus said, you can do nothing without me. We are weak without God. And then in verse 6, God tells David the third thing. Every man walks about like a shadow. And this speaks of appearance without substance. It speaks about wearing a mask. Putting on pretense so that people see you a certain way. You never let the real you be known. And what that means is sometimes you do it so much that you actually begin to believe your own press releases. You begin to believe the lies that you've been telling people through your masks. It's not who you really are. And David hears from God, that is never going to be your solution. Wearing a mask, pretending, is never going to help you. David started off saying, I can do it myself. And then he said, I can't do this alone. And then his third approach is verse 7. Now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in You. He started off saying, I can. Then he said, I can't. Now he's saying, I don't want to do this alone. I don't want to do this alone. Even if I could possibly do it. I don't want to do it alone because I know what that's going to do inside of me is to make me become proud and arrogant and to think that I'm all of that. And David says, I don't want to do it alone. I don't want to do it without You. Which brings us to David's final approach in verse 9. I was mute. I did not open my mouth because it was you who did it. David, like all of us, started off trying to control himself. I, I, I think I can do this. I think I can control my words. I can control my mouth. And then he found out he couldn't. Then he came to a place where he said, I don't even want to. Not without you, Lord. And then he said, Lord, only you can do it. Did you notice that the way in which it changed there, that last verse that I read to you? He says there in, in the, the verse 9 it was, he says, I was mute, I did not open my mouth because it was you, God, who did it. That's how I didn't open my mouth. Before when I was trying, I spoke out. But now it's you. Now for many of you, you know firsthand how your words have hurt people around you. Or maybe those people around you's words have hurt you. And you have found the devastation of what your words can do. 
the difference it can make in a life. And here, God is showing us through the lessons in King David's life that what we all need is Jesus desperately. So what is our solution? Where do we go from here? And I want to give you very simply three points that I saw for myself. Number one, you need to get a new heart. Because it starts with your heart, not your mouth. Because what comes out of your mouth starts in your heart. In fact, if I could, I would put it this way. Ezekiel 18.31 says this, Cast away all from you all the transgressions which you have committed. Get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. In other words, he's saying, painting the outside of the well isn't going to help it any if there's poison in the water. You've got to change what's at the root of it. We need, if I could say it this way, you need to get saved. You need to get saved. And for some of you here today, you, you've liked the idea of God. You like thinking that there's a God up there and that He's in control of everything. You like the idea of God. You like coming to church maybe. You like the worship music. Maybe you even like good moral lessons that you can learn. But do you really know God? Do you have a vital relationship with God? You need to get saved. God is the only one who can actually help us to change how we speak in life. And for some of you, maybe you're here and you have accepted Christ into your heart and you've come into Christ's heart and you know what it is to be saved. But I want to suggest to you that salvation was never intended by God to be a once and for all event. It was to be a daily process worked out in your life. You are saved, but you're also getting saved. And one day you will be saved. It's a process that God works into our lives. We need to be saved daily. Like David in Psalm 51, we need to say, God... Create in me a clean heart. Let it start with our heart. Number two, we have to ask God for help every single day because every one of us fail at this. Every one of us. I can't tell you how many times I have gone to a meeting with somebody and I've purposed. Okay, remember, listen more than speak. Listen more than speak. And sure, shooting something said and I immediately think, oh, I've got the answer. And you start speaking. And you've probably done the same kind of thing. And yet here, God says to us, we need to ask help from Him every single day. Psalm 141.3 says, Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. The wonder of the Gospel is that real change can't help happen without God's Spirit and God's power. But the wonderful thing is that God offers us His Spirit and His power. And in Galatians 5, one of the fruit of the Spirit is temperance or self-control. But it's the fruit of the Spirit. So it's not really self-control. It's self-controlled by the Spirit. Uh, I haven't heard this statement in a while, but uh, I think it's still true today. It used to be very common with computers. Garbage in, garbage out. In other words, what are you taking into your heart regularly? And how does it affect what comes out of you? What are you meditating on? The third thing is this, and this is a big one for me. Think and pray before you speak. Let a moment or two go by before you have to have that immediate response. Um, my regular prayer is, God, make me more and more aware of you and your life in me so that what comes out of me flows out of the river of God that dwells inside of me. My wife got me a plaque. Uh, she, she didn't do it as a criticism of me. It's something that I would regularly say. So she found the plaque that actually was the words that I use. And it's this plaque here. Uh, can you put that up? It says this. This is actually a picture of my plaque from my desk. I have it facing me all the time. And it says, Lord, 
Keep your arm around my shoulder, which speaks of his intimacy, his love, his acceptance, and your hand over my mouth. God, I need your help daily. And I think we all do. In order that what comes out of our mouth flows from the river of God's heart, not from the tainted poison of this world. Let me ask you honestly. If we were to take a picture, a snapshot of your words this past week, what would your words reveal about you? What would your words expose from your heart? Our words reveal what's inside of us. What would your words reveal about you? What direction is your tongue taking you lately? Do you find yourself talking more about COVID and masks and Delta variants or Governor Cuomo or President Biden? What, what are your words talking about more? God or the things of this world? Things that are eternal or things that are passing away? All of this stuff is going to go away. But God is forever. God is eternal in His purpose for our lives. Some people even say destructive things about themselves. And there's got to come a point where we say, no, it's about more than that. I need to say what God says. Um, the last two times I shared, I gave you homework. The first one was, I wanted you to pray and ask God to give you a word, a simple word that would become the direction of the rest of this year for you and for your life. The second thing I asked you was, on my next sermon, I asked you to do a little bit of homework, and that homework was very simply, ask God to share with you one or two words about how He feels about you. And let that carry you for this time period. And I hope you've done that. I truly do. I know for me, I did, personally. Because I want to know God. I don't want to say what I think about myself. I want to say what you think about me. I have third homework for you today, and it's very simply, I want you to memorize a phrase. This is a very simple phrase. For those of you taking notes, you can write this down. The phrase is simply this. That's the way I want it. That's the way I want it. Say that with me. That's the way I want it. Say it again. That's the way I want it. So how does it work? Um, let's say you're in a relationship, maybe married, maybe not, and you're upset with your other, whether it be your spouse or your friend or whatever it is. You're in some kind of relationship, you're upset. And in your mind pops these words, and all of us have stupid thoughts that go through our mind. Thoughts that aren't born even of your own heart. Thoughts from the enemy that are evil. And then, yes, there are thoughts of our own flesh. But a thought pops through your mind, and it says something like this. I'm so sick and tired of you, I wish you were dead. Maybe even in anger, you let those words pop out of your mouth, let alone in your mind. I am so sick and tired of you, I wish you were dead. You know, it's the kind of things that when you were kids, maybe, and you were fighting with your siblings, you might have said something stupid like that. But now you find them flashing through your mind towards your spouse or towards your friend, and you have it coming out of your mouth. What I want to recommend is that you add these words. I'm so sick and tired of you and this relationship. I want you dead, and that's the way I want it. And I want you to then think about it. Is that really the way you want it? Are you so angry? Are you so bitter? Are you so hateful that you really want somebody dead? And that's the way I want it. You get on my nerves so much, I wish I'd never married you. 
And that's the way I want it. Our words need to align themselves with what God has said. Some of us say things like, I'm such an idiot. I'm such a pathetic loser. I hate myself. I wish I were dead. And that's the way I want it. Really? Take those words and change it around just a little bit. And you say something more like this. Right now, we're not doing real well. But I know you love me, and I love you, and we are committed for life, and that's the way I want it. It changes the nature of what we're doing. Right now, we're in debt, but we're committed by God's help to live beneath our means, to be able to save what we can in order to get out of debt so that we can become not merely tithers, but we can become generous givers, and that's the way I want it. So I want you to think about that phrase, that simple phrase, and that's the way I want it. Is that really how you want it? When you look at your life and you say, oh, geez, I got no friends, I got nobody to talk to, no one cares, and that's the way I want it. It might not even probably be true. But in the moment of pain, you say things that are hurtful even to yourself and to those around you. Your thoughts matter because they ultimately become your words. Your words matter because they ultimately become your actions. Your actions matter because they ultimately become your habits. And your habits matter because they ultimately become what you repeatedly do. Who you become in life. I said at the beginning, the words that we speak are either life-giving words or life-taking words. My question to you this morning is, what are your words like? When you see somebody... What is it that you want to give to them with your words? Because that's the way you want it. Do you want to be a life giver or a life taker? Would you bow your heads with me? And I want you to take a moment and honestly think about it. Think about it in the context of your life and what you say about yourself. What kind of things, what kind of thoughts come to your mind about yourself? Did you take the time to actually pray and ask God to share with you how He feels about you? That He loved you so much that He was willing to give His life for you. Which speaks of the value He places upon you. Maybe it's not even only what you say about yourself, although I think it always starts there. How about how you've been talking to other people? When people hear you, are they hearing something of God's heart? Is that what you talk about with them? Maybe 2021 hasn't been much better for you than 2020. It's been a hard year, hard season. And things haven't happened the way you expected. You lost jobs, loved ones, families divided. 
Have you allowed those things to determine what comes out of you? Or is it the Spirit of God within you? Life-giving, life-taking. Fruit or poison? Which is it? Take just a moment. And again, David tells us so clearly, I can't do it myself. And honestly, I don't want to try. I need God. I need Jesus to change me. As a parent, I need Jesus to help me with the kinds of things I say to my kids. In my marriage, in the workplace, yes, in church, in my family, let our speech be seasoned with the salt of his presence. Father, we started this short series saying little things can make a big difference. They can. They don't always, but they can. And that's really something that we have some decision in. And so, Lord, we're saying we want you to guard our mouths. Don't want to have to wear a muzzle and be quiet all the time in order to protect it. But I'm asking you, God, to set a guard over my mouth. And that when I speak, it be from the very heart of my Father that it be um, like a a sweet, refreshing breeze to the souls of those with whom I come in contact. And I know, Father, that's the prayer of my friends here. So, Lord, we look to you and we say, only you can do it, Father. We're not just throwing our hands up and saying, I can't do it myself at all. We're saying, Lord, with your help, with your strength, we can do this because that's your heart for us. Lord, we're asking for this change in our lives. Changing our thoughts and changing our words. We commit, Father, to be those who are daily being saved, receiving a new heart, new spirit, and crying out to you daily for help. That's our commitment today, Father, by your grace alone. Do what we can't do in ourselves. So that what we say and how we say it brings life to those around us. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day. And it looks like maybe the rain stopped. God bless you.